before. Um, first of all, if I'm talking to a little bit more quietly than normal, um, that is because I just got my uh, rather uh, energized kid off to sleep, and um, I don't want to wake her up. It's uh, it's not something I want to face. There is a there is a certain sort of unstoppable unstoppable force meets an immovable object vibe to um yeah trying to get a child to sleep who doesn't want to and i don't uh, now that she is asleep i don't want to incur the, po the possibility of of dealing with that all over again that was a fun few hours trying to get her her down and um daddy needs to record <laughs> a podcast with 19 listeners is this this not it's not going to cut it as a, as, a, as a form of persuasion. It's not as good as lollies or I will get you a new toy. It's just, yeah, daddy, daddy has, dumb, has a dumb hobby. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't translate to uh, yeah, manifesting motivation uh, from within said youngling. That being said, if you do want your ego to be completely obliterated, I cannot recommend having a child enough and uh, nothing uh throws you off uh or, or discards or yes uh what am i trying to say here throws off the illusion that you are the center of the universe more than having a child who just doesn't give a fuck <laughs> doesn't give a fuck what you want or think um and also um you can't get annoyed at them for that and you know well fuck you then and walk off because you know they'll die so it's not like it's not like i don't know any other problem which you can just put down and walk off if you know if your child is annoying you more than anything not that my child does annoy me actually at all um she's a pretty fantastic little human being and just started school which is also crazy um but you know if, if they're annoying you can't just sort of put them down and walk off so I'll deal with that tomorrow because tomorrow they won't be alive because they don't know how to, they keep, you know, they don't know how to operate uh, any of the, of the things in the adult world, which is pretty odd, actually, isn't it? When you think about it, I mean, you know, when when a baby gazelle is born, it starts walking around and it sees its parents walking around, and within three minutes it's walking. So right, well, I've caught up with the adults already. I mean, what else is there to know? Use your legs. To walk to food, use your legs to run away from scary thing. Um, use your legs to bend down so that your face is on the ground when you want to fall asleep. It's very sort of leg-based existence. But imagine a few years after it's learnt to do the leg thing, the parent gazelles suddenly whip out a microwave and start pressing buttons. It's like, hang on a minute, now what is this? No one like when I was born, when I flopped out of you. I was rolling around in, you know, amniotic fluid on the fucking the savannah. Um, I instinctively knew to stand up and to start walking around. Nothing in me prepared me for that. What the fuck? What is that? What? Okay. Why is the mum gazelle now putting on a suit and going to an office? This none of this makes sense. So you know, children, um, you can't leave them alone in your house because a house is not a natural thing. <laughs> I have no, they have no idea. They have no idea what it's for, how it works. And they don't know not to put their fingers in the electric things and all that sort of stuff. So 
um, yeah, there's no negotiating with a child and having one just yeah, strips you of, the, of any illusion that you are ever important and they become a, a biological um, both burden and duty, like everything you have to keep them alive. And that is that is so uh, such an overriding, um, overriding motivation that uh, everything else falls out the window. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Sorry, I didn't I didn't even want to talk about my kid on this podcast or parenthood. Um, in, well, not in this episode anyway. We'll, but it's, it's it is an interesting topic. But uh, you know, just to finish that thought off, um, it is you know it, it, it's you feel the priority of them in an extremely visceral sense like i've had you know pitch meetings for tv shows and uh you know i've got a zoom meeting with the head of you know entertainment at such and such broadcaster or whatever and you know three minutes before the meeting's due to start you know my wife is uh out somewhere at work i'm working out of the home office and maybe the kid is home sick and I'm just praying, like I've just set her up with some toys or whatever. And please, just, I, Dad, Dad's got a really important meeting, and I just, I need you to play in here, and just let me get on with it because it's so important. I know you don't understand what a mortgage is, but I, just, I need to pay mine off, <laughs> and this meeting will help facilitate that. Anyway, um, but you know, sure enough, three minutes before the meeting, there's a crash noise or something you know, the sound of something falling over, like a piece of furniture or, you know, whatever. And then there's crying. And you, you know, you have to deal with it. And you have to send a fire off a quick email. Sometimes you can't even fire off a quick email. You're just like, fuck it, I've got to, I'm just going to have to look bad for not turning up to this meeting that I organized with people who are interested in working with me. And I'll just have to make it up to, the, I'll just have to explain later. Right now, there is one priority and it's that my kid has, you know, a grazed knee or needs comfort. Um, and so it's, it's great actually at, um, at getting you to not attach to things because you have to be able to drop stuff immediately um, against your will. Like, you know, actually that, that sounds awful. That sounds like I actually want to have the meeting and not deal with my kid. You, the, the, the desire to help your kid over and above attending that meeting, well, at least in me, arises instinctively. Um, but nevertheless, it's like as soon as your kid's born, you, you don't attach to anything. You just can't because nothing is certain and you cannot guarantee that you can have any tract of time where you get to uh, plan things and then those things happen. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's that saying, isn't it? The best, best laid plans of mice and men. Um, but it's only those plans only go again and glay if those, if those mice parents specifically, uh, their their plans are ganning and glaying all over the glog or whatever the, the end of that expression was. Um, where does a gan and a glay happen? But um, yeah, the best laid plans of fucking parents don't ever happen like they don't oft or the aft go gana glade it's not even aft it's fucking all the time um you know <laughs> i sometimes send text messages to fellow you know, me me and um 
Mark Humphreys, if you know him, you know, have children of a similar age and we sometimes meet up to try and get them to, you know, do play dates and stuff. And we'll jokingly text each other saying, you know, I, I left, I left just after the big bang, or I started getting ready for this play date just after the big bang. So I'll probably be 20 minutes late. Like there's just no amount of preparation as a parent that means you'll get somewhere on time. Anyway, that was a massive detour from what I wanted to talk about in this episode. It's a bit of an insight into my life. Hey, how ironic is that? A podcast about ego and I'm waffling on about myself. Hurrah. But what I want to talk about in this episode, so we've had three episodes so far that um, I guess were, and again, being very egotistical, kind of focused on me trying to kind of triangulate or pinpoint where I kind of began realizing that ego is a bad thing. And I know I could have just read a book (laughs) and found that out straight away, but I had to come to it slowly and it, it came through working in satire and and realizing that if done uh, poorly, satire can foster division and actually erode empathy. I said, well, that's interesting. What what does empathy rely on? And, and, you know, how how can you have more empathy? And and what is it that satire is doing that um, is decreasing the amount of it? Um, And and realizing, yeah, that it's it's about um, having not wanting to see things from someone else's perspective, just so you can have the power over them to scoff. What a scoffing there is, hey? And um, so that was that was the first kind of realization. And then we talked about the news cycle in episode two and about how that increases fear and it takes you out of the present moment and it gets you in this kind of limbic fight or flight kind of space. Um, and there's the nocebo effect. So, you know, when you're hearing all this negative information all the time, that it actually leads to you thinking about other people negatively and in a weird way, that's kind of like a, not a bad allegory or a version of um, sort of karma, if you think about it. If you constantly ingest negative stuff, you're gonna put negative stuff out and that's gonna come back to bite you and create ripple effects around the world. It's it's not a good thing, then you should be more positive and talk about all the great things because humans are generally actually rather fantastic. News flash, there's no, yeah, there's never breaking news everyone's lovely that is breaking i haven't heard that in fucking ages then in the third episode with social media we're talking about um which brings those two worlds together satire the news people sharing stuff to look a certain way over investing in your own thoughts and we also talked about how social media is kind of the the literal opposite in terms of what it's sort of preaching to us is 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 important and how to live your life which you know on, on the one side you've got certain uh advice from western psychiatry and and also eastern philosophy eastern spirituality that you know you need to detach from your thoughts and not identify with them and observe them and doing so robs them of their power and also gives you more agency and decreases the amount of you know um certain mental illnesses and all these kinds of things or at least mitigates them somewhat And then on the other hand, you've got social media, which is saying the exact opposite. Please buy into your thoughts. Please tell us exactly what you're thinking. What you're thinking right now is real. You've got to tell everyone and be rewarded for it. You know, it turns your inner landscape into a form of fucking currency. It's very opposite. It's the exact opposite of devaluing what's going on in your head. It's it's an over 
emphasis on what's going on inside your head. And so no wonder then that, you know, using that as the paradigm for the future of humanity possibly is a mistake. Um, you know, it's bad for you. Social media is, is, is to us today. We'll be looking back on social media in 30 years time, the same way we look back on, you know, cigarettes. It's like, it was bad for us. And we all did it because we thought it was cool. That's what always frustrates me actually about, you know, people who defend social media. It's like, Oh, it's just old people not getting fucking cool. It is. And mm, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard people saying shit's cool. That's actually really fucking bad for you. You know, that's, um, yeah, cigarettes. And guess what? They were addictive as well. And maybe you're addicted too. Um, so, but it's been three episodes now of, um, looking at, I guess, spheres of either my career or just things I interact with or things that I have to use every day that fan the flames of ego. And so for episode four, I think it's time for, for us to have an episode. You know, it's hypocritical of me to say, you know, the news is always all this negative information and then have a podcast that is also predominantly negative. This increases ego, that increases ego. That's going to make you mentally ill. Um, you know, why am I practicing what I'm preaching? Um, so it's time to have an episode, finally, where we dip our toe into some of the fun spiritual stuff. How's about that? That's going to be nice, isn't it? So this episode then, I think we can describe, uh, if you want to kind of log line for this episode or a synopsis, we're just going to be dipping our toe in ways to make it okay to entertain the possibility that you don't exist, <laughs> um, which sounds terrifying, but I think the fact that it sounds terrifying is part of the problem and the thing that this episode is wants is aiming at dispelling. Okay, so when it's this obviously it takes decades of hardcore practice to get anywhere down that track, but at least at least after this episode, we can think about it in correct in the in the correct way, right? In the with the correct terms, um, and not because th the, the problem is is there's a lot of stigma around if somebody says look you know you know your concept of self the idea of self the idea of ego you don't actually exist the immediate reaction is not a great one and it's just that that's what we're going to do first is get over that little hurdle that little that little emotional like knee-jerk reaction to being told you don't exist um and come at it with a kind of a healthier sort of more, I guess, more accurate uh, internal depiction of what that actually means for you. Um, so let's get stuck into it. So the most important thing, the first thing to realize when somebody, when you're, you know, listening to a podcast like this, or just, you know, dipping your, reading a synopsis of a, I don't know, a Buddhist uh, text, or, you know, something by Alan Watts about, you know, uh, this, this book goes into how actually, you know, the, the concept of self is an illusion and you just put the book down in the library or at the bookshop or you, what do you do on a Kindle store? I don't know, uh, click the back button, go fuck that book. Not for me, that sounds terrifying. Or that's just a load of hocus pocus. I don't know, you know, I obviously, have, I can't not exist. How am I going to 
somebody fucking exists, right? Because somebody has signed up to Netflix and someone, I, get charged 15 bucks a month. That's right, the two screens version. Hello. Uh, I shouldn't get the two screens version. I'm not doing that well financially. But anyway, um, you know, somebody's getting charged 15 bucks a month for Netflix and some, and that 15 bucks is coming out of someone's bank account. Now you're telling me that's not me. And who the fuck is watching Netflix? <laughs> who is this guy? And whose money is getting taken out of my bank account? And is that my bank account? Of course I fucking exist. I cannot not exist. I've, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got a kid. What am I going to tell them? Sorry, your dad's actually a fucking cloud. Like <laughs> that is terrifying. The problem, the problem with that reaction is that, and this is this 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 sort of, um, I guess, how spiritually uneducated we are when we after we've come out of school, is that when somebody says you don't exist, or when a book says you don't exist, or when um, you read about something called the concept of no self or not self, um, no self. The problem with that reaction is they don't mean you don't exist in the way that you think they're saying, in the way that you think they think they're saying you don't exist. Okay, so that's the first thing to overcome. It's not to, it's, so when somebody says you don't exist, it does not mean you're literally not here. It doesn't mean you've got no body. It doesn't mean the thoughts that are happening in your head aren't yours um, or aren't or that they're not even happening and that you're living in an illusion and you're actually in a gooey pod and you're about to be woken up to star in a, an ill thought through uh, fourth installment of a, <laughs> of a matrix film. It's not, that's not what they mean. Okay. So first, so that's first of all, just d- diffuse that reaction of its, of its um, passion and energy and what have you. And just step back for a moment, and that's just I'm I'm providing you with um, license to not be freaked out, okay? Because the answer it's not actually that you don't exist. It's actually a lot. Um, it's actually a lot simpler than that. So do not worry. That's the first thing. Do not do not panic. You definitely exist. It's just how you think of the thing that is called yourself that we can recalibrate, I guess. So it's not you don't exist. It's let's just recalibrate what it means to say myself and what and what does that even mean? Now there's two ways to talk about not existing or your the concept of you as you think of it, not actually not not existing, but not being an accurate description of what's going on in your head. So it's it's not a, to say I exist and to think that there is a you like this weird solid concept of you is an inaccurate uh, description of what's going on in your head, right? But there's there's two ways to understand this. One is intellectually, uh, which is a lot easier and faster and quicker because, you know, someone can just explain it to you. And one is, and one is through practice and actually feeling that and experiencing that for yourself. Now, Actually, doing it through practice is not possible in um, in a podcast, or at least not yet. Um, and it, you know, why is this why is this podcast episode nine years long? Yeah, it's because he actually <laughs> forced his listeners 
to um, to actually just do nine years of <laughs> solid meditation. Um, so we can't get to that bit. We can talk about um, what some of those practices might look like, um, but we obviously won't do them. But we can at least cover the intellectual part. Okay. Now, one of the things that really helped me uh, back in, gosh, when I was doing my degree in philosophy, actually, was, and I should have latched onto it then. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why that didn't unlock something. I just went, oh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And then went on about my life being an egotistical, <laughs> de- depressive piece of shit. Um, if only I'd actually... <laughs> Then it actually like actually uh, incorporated what I was learning at that f- expensive degree. Jesus Christ! Um, but one of the things that helped me unlock uh, that helped unlock it for me was um, something called category mistakes. And uh, one of the largest proponents of this uh, was a philosopher called uh, philosopher, excuse me, called Gilbert Ryle. Now, he was a 20th century philosopher. I think he was a British chap. I just remember him for the simple reason that uh, he's a, he, he was a critic of Descartes and specifically uh, something that uh, is referred to as Cartesian dualism. Now, if you even if you've not studied philosophy or read any, you might you probably have come across or you know, heard someone else say at a party trying to sound clever, um, you know, I think therefore I am, which was Descartes' famous sort of um, first principle, I guess, that kicked all of this off. But he, so his uh, central thesis, I guess, was that. I, I exist because I'm thinking, but no individual parts of my body are thinking. Like, you know, you can chop your leg off and a bit of your brain doesn't, a bit of your mind or your soul doesn't disappear. So the body isn't doing the thinking. Um, this is a really accelerated philosophy degree right here. Why did I pay so much money for it? Could have just got it condensed into a handy soundbite by a sad British man. Um, <laughs> but um, you, uh, you know, you can remove bits of the body and you quote-unquote, don't reduce in size, like your bits of your personality don't disappear. So he essentially said, that, you know, there are two kinds of matter. There's thinking matter and there's physical body non-thinking matter. And so the implications of that, of course, is that um, thinking can happen without matter. Um, that, you know, you, maybe you can die and something will still persist. Now, I believe Gilbert Ryle's critique of this, um, I, I kind of co-opted to apply to my notion of self, but I, th- I think, if I remember correctly, his, his application of what he calls category mistakes was actually targeted at sort of um, dismantling this mind-body dualism concept. So he, you know, he, his, he I'm saying the word he a lot, come on, Get, get moving. He looked at what Descartes was saying, and Descartes saying, well, look, here's my leg. There's no mind in there. Here's all this body. There's no mind. Um, so the mind must be something over and above the body. Um, and Gilbert Ryle said, well, this is a category mistake. The mind and the body aren't two distinct things. Mind is just something we apply to uh, the... Th- is like an umbrella term. It's a concept. 
that we are verbal concepts, a linguistic concept we apply to all of the thoughts and everything we're having that are just byproducts of body. Is that they're not two different things. And I think his his famous example was, uh, I think it's called the tourist in Oxford. And um, so he describes it as a tourist is wandering around Oxford, you know, and they're looking at all the the colleges in Oxford. It's a college over there, a college over there, a college over there, and they're walking around Oxford. Um, and if you're not aware, of course, Oxford is, 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 a, is a university town or city. You know, it's one of those places where the university is spread throughout the whole place. It's not, you know, one central campus. And there's all these different colleges everywhere, same with Cambridge. Um, and so the tourist is wandering out of Oxford for the first time, looking at all these colleges. And he says, well, look, you know, great. I love all these colleges, but where's the university? Now, the category mistake there is in assuming that the university is of the same category as the colleges, that the, the university relates to or correspond, the, the word university corresponds, relates to a physical building, but it's not. It is a an abstraction. It's an abstract concept that we use because it's useful uh, to use that as an umbrella term that binds all the physical colleges together so that's the category mistake and what gilbert and the analogy gilbert Ryle is using there is that you know you've got all these men these physical processes that are generating thoughts you're looking at all the um you know which are results of you know synapses and blah 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 you're looking at this physical body and going yeah but where's the mind where's the soul i said well actually the two things are not distinct and and it's that is that is not you're you're applying you're putting mind in the wrong category mind is not another thing that exists alongside the body it's not something you can point at that is it's just a word we use because it's useful to apply to all of the processes that we sense in our own heads but ultimately those are physical processes so that's why he was against dualism, this idea that mind and body are separate. You know, they're not. Mind is just something we, as a word we use to refer to the experience of having thoughts and all, you know, neurons and synapses and everything firing off. The mind doesn't exist in the same way that the body does. The body is a thing that exists. The mind is just a useful term, um, I mean, the, the, the other example that really got me um, was when he asked, or was it an Oxford student or I think an audience or something, he was doing a talk or something. He's like, What's, what was wrong with the following sentence? Um, so he, he said, there are three things in a field, two cows and a pair of cows, right? <laughs> now, again, you that that that's pretty clear that that to me that example immediately makes my sort of you know my eyes light up my, my brain just starts firing on all the cylinders well of course that that makes total sense to me that the mistake you've made there is when you said there are three things in the field two cows and a pair of cows the category mistake you've made there is assuming that you know the concept of a pair exists in the same way that a physical cow does but it, the, the word pair 
isn't an animal. So that's that's the category mistake there you've made there is lumping, um, lumping of uh, you know a, a linguistic concept in the same basket as physical things that exist. And if you can grasp that, then you can uh, grapple or start to grapple the idea that it's a category mistake to look at the body and all the thoughts that are happening in the body um, and all these synapses and electrons and neurons firing and you know the experience of having thoughts which is a physical act in the same with breathing or getting a cramp in your leg looking at all of those thoughts and mental processing uh, processes and then going yeah but where's the mind it's like well no because the, the mind is actually something you've it's a, it's a different category. It's a linguistic concept that you've accidentally lumped in the same basket as physical things happening that happen to result in the experience of the sensation of thoughts. And in the same way that when you put your finger on a hot thing and it hurts and your brain receives the sensation of pain, memories and thoughts and emotions are just you know more slightly more complex uh, versions of that that you happen to be in the privileged position of, of witnessing firsthand, but it's, they're still physical processes. So to say, yeah, but where's, where does the mind live or what is the mind is a nonsensical question. Now, how this helped me at the time, and then I'd completely forgot about it for 15 years uh, and then re-remembered it about two years ago or <laughs> something like that. Um, how that helped me was to not, not apply that in terms of dualism, and uh, dismantling that and going, well, that's wrong. There's just the body. I, I think Gilbert Ryle's examples about the cows or the Oxford University are, are great to co-opt for Eastern thought as well. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if I, if I could be bothered looking, I could find some equally uh, eloquent and apt uh, examples in, you know, lots of other books as well. But the, these ones... For me, are the were the easiest to grasp, and that's why I'm repeating them now. But when you, in the same way that he said it was a category mistake to say the university belongs in the same category as the colleges, when actually the university is just a handy sort of reference point as a way of grouping these colleges together under one banner and one abstract banner, because yeah, the university doesn't actually exist. I think that's a great metaphor for the self. And also, when we get through this, you'll realize that that metaphor also makes it a lot less scary to say I don't exist. But um, so here's, here's why I think that metaphor is so beautiful, because you realize that the self is a sort of uh, mirage or an abstraction that you apply to a... a, a, a a torrent of thoughts um, that you you basically apply this category to because it's handy, because it's useful. But when you actually dig into the thoughts and look around, you realize there's no actual self. So in the same way that we've got all those colleges and they go, well, where's the university? You've got all these thoughts in your head. You've got all these thoughts happening all the time. And out of that, you say, well, there, there is a me. That I am, I'm the person thinking all those thoughts. I am, you know, I am the sort of the culmination, the sum of all those thoughts. But there is actually no, there's no actual I. The I is the same. 
the eye is to all these thoughts, what the university is to all the colleges. It's actually, it doesn't belong in the same category. It's not actually there. So the, the idea that there is a you um, in, in amongst or over and above all those thoughts is, is kind of as mistaken as thinking there is a physical university that somehow sits above or is mixed in amongst all the colleges. Um, or that there is, you know, the the the, the verbal con the, the linguistic construct a pair of cows is in that field alongside the two cows. It's actually just a way of referring to something. It's a handy concept. So the idea that there is a you know that there is a you like a CEO or a manager in your brain that's kind of sitting above all those thoughts. Um is sort of inaccurate. What's really happening is there's just lots of thoughts moving around and out of, out of that is created this sort of um, illusion of an overarching self. Now, that might sound pretty sort of weird and freaky, but I, there, there's lots of ways. There's, there's other kind of metaphors that I think are quite helpful. I think I might have mentioned this um, in the episode three on, on social media um, about, you know, a shoal of fish. If you look at a shoal of fish swimming around, um, there's no actual, you can be sort of mis forgiven for thinking there's some kind of larger single entity arising out of the collection, the collective movements of all those fish in, in harmony. You know, you look at them, you, same when you look at birds, especially when you see those you know huge, huge flocks of birds that you know sometimes. Uh, I used to be a, an avid bird watcher when I was about eight years old, and um, I would drag my parents on early morning bird watches to try and find bloody falcons and stuff. But um, I lived by in the northwest of England, um, and there were lots of like marshes and stuff. Uh, near where I lived, and there'd be just flocks of seabirds uh, sea and, you know, I um, don't know what they were, Dunlin, I think they were, plovers, who knows. Um, but there was always a ranger around, and, you know, these flocks of birds would just lift off the ground, and he would just point, he, his job was to count them, but he would count in tens of thousands in the blink of an eye. He'd go, oh, that one's 20,000, that one's 50,000, you know, he'd just, he didn't actually count them. He would just know the vague size, but it was always in the, you know, thousands. But when you see these huge flocks of birds just morphing and warping and it just looks like it has intention, um, that's a really, really handy way to, to get your head around this concept as well. So if you look at a shoal of fish or a giant flock of birds and it's moving in that way that looks like a singular organism, um, it is actually, there is no singular organism that's orchestrating all that it's actually just thousands of fish independent of each other um who are have chosen to swim uh in you know in some kind of collective uh organized group for a while but there is no in the, you know in this again going back to this category mistake in the same way that there's no university that physically exists in amongst all the colleges, you know, that there's no there's no um, conductor with the shoal of fish, and there's no, you know, there's not all of the fish plus a shoal, 
Like the shoal is just the word we use to describe all that movement of all those fish acting together at the same time. In the same way, you have a shoal of thoughts, right? You've got all these thoughts in your head moving around, flowing around, and that creates the mirage of a, of a shoal, right? Which we call the self, we call me, okay? And that's handy. It's really useful to refer to that all as me because it's all happening in your head. Again, nobody's saying you don't actually exist, right? It's just the way we think of our self, yeah, the self, needs a bit of recalibrating because uh, the way we're told to think about it in, you know, especially now with Instagram and social media, you know, Twitter and stuff where there's a lot of focus on the ego and a lot of focus on who you are and you've got to be your own brand. Like, you know, sort of I've got to present myself. We really, really over-invest in this concept as if it has concrete, um, concrete existence. And actually, you know, when you delve into it, it just breaks apart. You know, if you if you throw a spear or, you know, I don't know, throw a rock at that shoal of fish, it will disperse. You know, there wasn't actually any larger kind of meta organism orchestrating their movements. You know, there was that shoal of fish was not one singular entity, even though it looks like one. It's actually just thousands and thousands of separate moving parts. Now, this is where, you know, meditation and practice comes in because it's, it's all, you know, fair and nice and easy to say, you know, all of your thoughts together don't create a you. It just, it is, you know, you're, you're bundling verbal linguistic concepts in with the, in the wrong category. There is no you. That's just a word we use. It's all very well to say that, you know, your, your thoughts are just uh, a shoal of fish and you is just the illusion of a singular entity that comes out of, you know, in the same way that we think a shoal is a singular organism, it's not. It's very easy to say that. Um, to actually experience and, and feel that and, and witness it in action, well, that, that takes meditation or some form of practice. But um, that's, that's where you need to, if, if, you, if you meditate and you, you know, if you focus on your breath for a long time, um, I mean, so first thing, first thing, first, um, you know, the, the, the easiest form of meditation is, well, for me anyway, is mindfulness of breathing. And that's, that's where you use your, um, breath as a focal point for your attention. And what that does, I mean, it does a quite a lot of things. Um, and I, I actually got this wrong for a long time. I, I thought the purpose of, of mindfulness of breathing was to, like, shut up your thoughts um, and every time thoughts would pop up, I would get disappointed. I was like, oh, I'm not nailing this at all. I'm really bad at mindfulness and breathing. And again, subsequently, I've, I've read books by like Thich Nhat Hanh and, and, and you know, uh, Jack Cornfield and realized I was completely mistaken in, in how I was going about this, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So the, the, in terms of mindfulness and breathing, you know, you, you choose a focal point, you, you focus on your breath. So for me, you, you breathe in and out through your nose, um, not in any forced, weird way. I've been in meditation groups and stuff where there's be people who've watched too many movies <laughs> and then they're just going <sighs> as if, I don't know, they're trying to conjure a fucking dragon made of chi or something. 
that's if they they just watched they just watched the bloody Matrix or something. But anyway, um, they you know you just breathe normally, but allow your attention to come to your breath. Right? For me personally, that the the easiest place I find is the kind of um, cool whistling sort of tingly sensation you get just um on the inside of the tip of your nose so when i'm breathing in i can feel that cool air traveling uh that the, the moment the cool air first enters the nostrils is where i i feel it the most and that's where i focus but some people um when they're breathing through the nose they feel it kind of traveling down the back of their throats they focus there um, some people focus on the expand the the sensation sensation of their stomach, you know, rising and falling. Doesn't matter. It's you know, the main the most important thing with any meditation is just don't judge. Um, so if where you feel your breath is like in some weird like <laughs> clavicle in your chest, is clavicle a word? I feel like that's something that gets applied to church organs or something. The fifth clavicle's broken. The um, don't judge yourself for wherever you want to focus on your breath that's the right place wherever's good for you is is right now you you bring your attention there um to well one one goal is to kind of relax right because what happens is you do that and eventually um potentially your thoughts quieten down and then you're just in the present moment and there are no thoughts and it's extremely calm extremely peaceful and um extremely good for you to have also just focus on something instead of having this you know especially in the present day where we're just constantly focusing focusing on like 55 different things at once um and again we talked about this in episode three that's when you know the default mode network might shut down a bit your sense of self dissipates and you're just in the present moment just not you know just not thinking judging anything you're just pure existing right now and that's all you have to do that's your only responsibility in that moment but another thing that comes out of trying to do that is your brain fucking hates it <laughs> like it really you're trying to focus on your breath and you just you know in your head you're like breathing in breathing out i'm gonna focus on my breath in and that feels i mean you're just doing it so well I'm focusing on my breath, and then your internal monologue just goes focusing on breath, focusing on breath, focusing on my um. Oh, there was that gas bill, wasn't there? Forgot to pay the bloody gas bill, and oh no, that's like what is it, four percent surcharge every month? That's just gonna get bigger and bigger. I've really got to sort that out when I get home. But I forgot I didn't write down the BSB details. So I'm even gonna pay the fucking thing. Why don't I even pay? I, mean, I should just switch. I should just switch to fucking electric because you know. There's two bills to pay, electric and gas. What's the point of it? It's just so stupid. And oh, speaking of bills, oh no, just I, I still owe um, what's his face, Thomas, Thomas lunch uh, from like three months ago. I said I'd get him, pay him back because it was birthday, and so and, and then you know that keeps going, and then you go, and then suddenly there's fuck my breath, my fucking breath. I've got to focus on my fucking breath. Why was I focusing on this other stupid shit? Oh, I'm such a failure. Um, and you you chastise yourself. Like you get fucking, oh, why was I thinking about the thing? And then, of course, now you're thinking about the fact that you're not thinking <laughs> about your breath. Like, 
I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid at this bloody meditation shit. I'm so useless. You know, you suddenly turn into like some like Dickensian uh, character that abuses yourself. It's like, you're bloody useless, you stupid little. <laughs> Get back in the chimney, you little shit. Like you just, <laughs> you're just really like giving yourself a hard time. And then you realize, why am I even uh, insulting myself? Jesus, I've got to get back to the middle. <sighs> and then you do that. Um, that is the bad way to do it. <laughs> so do not copy me and my early forays in uh, trying to, to do this stuff. Um, what you're really supposed to do is when those thoughts pop up is literally like just watch them without any sense of failure at all. Um, and watch them drift by. Um, I sometimes, because you, you don't want to get sucked into them. That's that's the important thing. You don't want to get caught up in your thoughts. You still Thoughts are still very welcome to happen. You just don't walk up to them and go, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? Blah, 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 and then get sucked in. You just watch them um, calmly. It's almost like you've got camouflage on, and these are like animals, you know, walking past. Um, you know, you don't get involved. You just observe, and they they wander away. Some sometimes, if they're hanging around too much, I kind of imagine them. Uh, I sort of wrap them mentally in a cloud, um, and give them a little blow, and they sort of, they seem to blow off. I don't know why that works. The mind is a weird thing, but yeah, I just if they're not drifting past by themselves, um. I'll give them a little nudge gently or I'll just imagine them, yeah, it's a cloud and they seem to drift off by themselves. But you're just focusing on the breath, focusing on the breath and all the while these thoughts pop up but you just let the breath be your kind of, um, your anchor, um, your harness or something, your safety harness over the precipice of thinking, <laughs> um, your bungee cord, you know, um, so you bounce back up again. But um, that was a weird analogy. But yeah, you, you let your thoughts be your anchor. And the, you'll notice these thoughts coming and going and just drifting past. Instead of being in like a, you know, in a canoe, just going with the thoughts down the stream, you're actually standing on a rock and the stream is just flowing around you. The thoughts are still happening. But what, what that does, if you get into that non-judgmental headspace, is you get this really weird um, privileged access to watching your uh, train of thought happening without you. I mean, that's, that is the weirdest thing, is that you suddenly realize that most of your thoughts that happen, um, kind of, they kind of think themselves. If you, if you ever, um, I mean, if that's another great thing about meditation is you, you actually start to see the genesis of a thought and realize that actually you didn't have much to do with it. Um, whereas when you're kind of busy and active and a thought pops up in your head, it's quite easy to think or mistakenly say, oh, I thought that up. I just thought that. Actually, it thought itself. The thinking just sort of happens. And so, in this meditative state, you're watching these thoughts come and go, constantly keeping your breath there as a kind of reference point and as, you know, yeah, like I said, like an anchor. And suddenly that shoulder fish 
sort of analogy um becomes really uh easy to not just understand academically but now you're feeling in feeling it in action there's these thoughts just popping up swimming away popping up swimming away and you realize there's no i that's thinking them like these thoughts are just happening all by themselves it's like it's a it's a revelation you know suddenly you see that you know there's all these thoughts coming and going uh, or thousands and thousands of them there's not an i in sight, like you, you, you are nowhere to be seen. I mean, there, there is the you that's watching the thoughts, right? The watcher, but there's not like a, there's not like a, in the same way that there's not like a conductor of the shoal of fish telling them where to go. There's just the illusion of a singular entity. You, you, you know, you're kind of rummaging around in all these thoughts, you know, like <laughs> rummaging through a pile of clothes in your bedroom looking for something and this you realize there's no like manager or ceo buried anywhere in there they are there's just all these thoughts happening and the your sense of self arises out of the combination of all of these thoughts happening sometime in unison sometimes it's discordant but you know whatever their collective activity is this the sense of self is actually just a, a kind of useful description we apply to this torrent of activity that's happening in your in your brain why um why is this useful though it's like great okay so you know i don't exist i'm just uh missed i've accidentally thought a shoal of fish was a person <laughs> um why is this at all of any benefit to anyone well i mean the in my my well in my personal experience the the most immediate benefit is it just gives you slight um control over your thoughts i mean in a weird way uh by saying you know i there's not necessarily a me paradoxically that gives you ownership over your thoughts because generally speaking what happens is in, in day-to-day existence is they own <laughs> they own you Right, if there's sadness in you, if you're thinking sad things because you think you're thinking that rather than what's possibly more true, which is that those thoughts are arising uh, unbidden. You know, it's not it's not that you consciously think, I want to think a sad thing, and then a sad thing pops up, like some waiter, like some sommelier in a restaurant, like, well, have you tried uh, depression about your father? You know, it's like... Have you thought about maybe thinking about the uh, time you broke up with your girlfriend by mistake? You know, it's, it's not like you go, I want to have a, hello, yeah, hello, waiter. I'd like to try a uh, a sad memory from 1993, uh, prepubescent um, and having weird issues with my friends at school. Anything, anything good there? <laughs> it's like you don't consciously choose to think a thought. I think that's the lesson you learn most when you're in um, in that sort of vipassana uh, meditative state is you, you these thoughts, are, these fuckers just pop up by themselves. It's quite a revelation uh, and quite a wonderful thing to experience firsthand and I thoroughly recommend it. Um, but, you know, you, what you realize is you, if, if you think that you, there is a you, there's a boss, a CEO, there's like a mini version of you in your brain uh, controlling everything, pushing all the buttons, and it's pushing the sad button, pushing the happy button. Uh, 
um, then or pushing you whatever pushing the thinking button whatever when you're sad you identify with that a lot it's like oh yeah i am i do remember that memory of you know the time that uh you know i caught her with my best friend behind the bike shed <laughs> i caught her i caught her shagging the bikes <laughs> it was that was really weird that really stuck in my head um she had a weird fetish for um unicycles where is this going none of this happened to me by the way i'm just it's very very late uh and i've had too much coffee to get this podcast done uh, so my brain's going all over the place but um you realize yes that if if if, if you think there is a, a full-on overarching you rather than that just being a kind of a, a mirage that a right that and a useful mirage again i'm not there's no point getting rid of these terms it's just how you how those terms what those terms mean to you i think needs a bit of recalibration right and that's that's the work that we're doing um but um if you really think there is a you then when these sad thoughts depressed thoughts anxious thoughts there is there is a a tether like a string from the thought to you um because you feel full ownership over it because it's your thought because you have chosen in as far as you're concerned chosen to think it whereas if you get in there you rummage around and go fucking what there's no me in here at all it gives you a bit of power and leverage when those thoughts arise because it's like oh there's there's an anxious thought all right see ya you know you, you there's just a, a tiny tiny bit a, a razor thin and again, it doesn't have to be razor thin. You can build it up over time. There's just a little filter between you and it. Uh, and again, I appreciate the irony of saying you and it, because that still implies there is a separate you. But there's the you know the watching you, the pure consciousness you, the just pure awareness, with no ego, no I, no me, whatever. There's just the awareness of thoughts. Um, if you if you can get to that. It just gives you, and if you if you punch, you know, the shoulder fish and they disperse and you realize there was nothing in there, um, then yeah, that that the, the it's freeing to have that lack of ownership over your thoughts, um, because you yeah you realize that you know they're just a lot of these things just they think themselves and you can just watch them uh, float by. Uh, as they're happening and, and not you don't get dragged into them or caught up in them you know like i said with the camouflage example you know you sort of walk up to the animals and say hey you just stay back and watch from the comfort of your little you know uh hide um and again like i said paradoxically that um lack of ownership weirdly gives you control over them okay the fact that they're not yours robs them of power and imbues you with um power um opportunity to question these thoughts when they arise rather than totally going along for the ride um and again the inverse is also paradoxically true that when you do think these are your thoughts how much control does that give you weirdly it's a complete lack of control yeah, when you when you identify with your thoughts and think they are yours because there is a you, um, unfortunately, 
the, the, the relationship is the exact opposite. They, they, they totally own you. Um, you know, how, how often is it that you found yourself nine minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20, an hour, two hours into uh, an, you know, a thought pattern obsessing over some stupid thing that happened three days ago, you know, Oh, that person bumped into me on the bus and didn't say sorry, you know? And suddenly, you know, you remember that in the shower, you get dressed, brush your teeth for work. You know, you're on the bus and you're still thinking about it. You get to work and now you're in a fucking bad mood because you've, you've worked yourself up over a thought that apparently you're meant to have control over. Well, you don't have control over it. It, it, it got you and you've gone down this weird cycle of, yeah, next time I see that person on the bus, I'm going to, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. I'm going to go fucking Liam Neeson on that fucker. You know, you just, you suddenly, you know, uh, it, it, the, the, the idea that you are some, I don't know, shepherd herding your thoughts is a, is a complete lie. It's more like you're a, on a bucking bronco, uh, untrained. Like you're one of those, you know, you're like someone in the Jackass movie on the back of a of a bull they've just slapped on the ass or some, you know, yeah, bucking bronco thing, being flung around by your thoughts. Like it totally has power over you because you identify it, because you claim own, because you claim ownership over it, and weirdly. The less you own it, the less you identify it, the less you connect with it. Strangely, that gives you more power over it. How odd is that? You have more power over something because it isn't yours. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? What a lovely thing to realize. So that's why it's useful. And that's, you know, and we're just touching the surface here. This is one podcast episode. And uh, we can get into this stuff uh, sporadically throughout the series. I, d- I don't want to stop doing the the negative uh, episodes as well because they're sort of fun for me they're quite cathartic but they they are also useful i think it's useful to notice the pitfalls of the uh you know things in society that can uh exacerbate ego and uh build up this you that as we've just discovered in our fourth episode um doesn't isn't really there it is a shoal of fish you are a shoal of fish in that there is no shoal. There's just lots of fish. But the word shoal is handy to refer to the many, many fish that are there. But um, so we won't stop doing those sort of more, you know, here's how social media plays you episodes. But it was nice to do a, an episode that actually started talking about the the uh, intellectual um, truth of not existing and how practice uh, can help reveal that firsthand. And I thoroughly recommend you try it. It will suck. If you've never done it before, um, Vipassana, you know, sort of insight meditation, you know, mindfulness of breathing, watching your thoughts will be really hard and there'll be, uh, or it might not be. I don't want to actually build it up to be a hard thing. You might have a great time. You might be the next Buddha. I don't know. <laughs> you could be. It's fucking easy. Imagine that. Imagine a really Eve, like, like a braggy, a bragging Buddha. Yeah, fucking nailed that enlightenment shit. Ah, that's easy. Water off a duck's back. And guess what? There is no duck. So water off nothing. 
Hey, bit of a that was a bit of a uh, <laughs> it's like Buddhist humor. Doesn't I'm never none of this is ever gonna. I'm never taking this on stage. By the way, <laughs> this is just this podcast is just for me. Uh, can there be such a thing as Buddhist stand up? Buddhist in jokes. What water for ducks back? Punchline. Duck's not even there. Jesus Christ, it's late. Um, but yes, it is great to experience firsthand. It it can be hard. It can be hard, is what I was trying to say. Um, you can get frustrated at the frequency that thoughts pop up and distract you from your breath. And the and in the early days, and not even early days, I've been doing this for years, and I always find the first 10 minutes is sort of the same experience. Not only do the thoughts pop up, but they do take me with them. I do become that jackass guy on the on the back of a you know uh bucking bronco getting tossed around by the thoughts and they they really have me um but fortunately eventually you know non-judgmentally you notice your breath is there waving its hand yeah um aren't you supposed to be over here it's like shit sorry sorry yes i'm sorry silly me you know and i do sometimes say that in my own head silly me typical but i don't get angry and i don't judge myself and go fuck i'm failing this i'm so bad at this i've learned not to be judgmental about that, which is great. Um, but it, yeah, you can get the thoughts can pop up. You can get frustrated, and you can the frustration itself can be a thought. Again, fifteen minutes might go by, and you suddenly realize I've been crapping on myself for fifteen minutes, uh, and suddenly you remember the breath. It's just like it's almost it's almost like a weird form of amnesia or something. You get sucked into these little holes, but it's it's totally worth it. The the other little thing that's handy um that can help is naming the thoughts when they happen because uh, weirdly that robs them of power as well and not just when you're meditating it's it's good to do just in in day-to-day life um you can be in an argument with someone and you know you can feel your pride your anger getting up like fucking idiot i hate this fucking guy um and you can just name it like anger at this guy and just labeling it is weirdly allows you to kind of um, archive it and pop it back on a shelf somewhere. And you'll notice it, it doesn't make it go, it doesn't always make it go away, but it, it robs it of like you know, 10% of its power or something. Um, but when you're in, when you're doing the meditation, um, naming stuff really helps. It helps. Again, I, I put stuff in a cloud if it's really hanging around for too long. And that seems to, um, that seems to manifest it buggering off. But naming things as well, if a memory pops up of like, oh, he got that, he got a bigger laugh than me uh, for that joke. Uh, when I, I thought my joke was better, I wrote it and blah, 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 jealousy. And it's like, oof, oh, so it is, you're right. And then it, it goes away. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit like telling someone they've got spinach in their teeth or something, just naming it makes the problem go away. You've got spinach in your teeth. Oh, so I do. <laughs> And then the spinach is gone. Whereas if you don't name it, you're staring at the spinach and getting socially embarrassed for them. You know, the problem never doesn't, isn't going to go away. Um, so in short, category mistakes, Gilbert Ryle, um, colleges, the university, the university is not the same thing as the college doesn't exist in the same way. The university is just a handy word we use to describe the collection of buildings known as colleges there are not there are three things in the field two cows and a pair of cows 
why is that weird? Well, a pair of cows is just a phrase we used to refer to the two. It doesn't, it's not another physical thing in the field. A shoal of fish creates the illusion of a single uniform entity, but the shoal doesn't exist alongside the fish. The, it, the fish are all that's there. All of these handy little models are just good ways to think about yourself. Okay. There's all these thoughts flying around in your head. And if you get in there for yourself, you know, meditation is, you know, tinkering under the hood. That's how we tinker under the hood. And if you get in there and have a look for yourself, you realize these thoughts are actually popping up all by themselves. You're not, you know, you're not speaking to the sommelier and saying, I would like to try a happy thought, please. You're not consciously choosing to have these thoughts. They're just coming unbidden. You tinker under the hood, you realize it's, it's, thousands and thousands of fish and you realize that yourself is just a handy way of referring to that symphony of thinking and why not you know and it doesn't mean you need to stop using the word me or i you know it just means when you do say those words know what you're referring to you're referring to the shoal yeah that you're not connected to those thoughts in the way that you think you are and knowing that just gives you profound control and power over them uh, rather than the relationship being vice versa yeah um anyway i hope that was a fun episode and again any feedback i'd dearly love to have it this is still early days for me um and i'm still getting used to the tech side of things and i am exploring uh some like video live streaming stuffs um which i'm extremely close to mastering and and when that happens i'll I'll start doing little chats with friends and stuff but i just want to make sure the first time i do it it's not an unmitigated disaster um because you just you don't want to watch you don't want to watch a tech rehearsal um so that's coming um and yeah it's, it's refreshing for me to just talk about stuff i'm interested in rather than writing jokes about the news and I hope, yeah, these episodes are fun and, and I hope this one was actually useful as well. I hope it kind of uh, stimulating and um, gave you something to think about. Um, uh, as always, please support this on Patreon if you can. Uh, that would also help me uh, dedicate more time to this and, yeah, start doing guests and bits of other interesting stuff together, which would be lovely. Um, and, yeah, thoughts, comments, always welcome support me on Patreon and have yourself a lovely day.